The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to our Thursday edition of the Leach Report. We are coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio. Uh, hopefully... You guys are going to be able to stay safe today and uh, stay home if you can. I guess this is a good thing about a lot of people working from home now. In a snow, sleet, ice storm like this, depending on what part of the Commonwealth you live in, um, you're dealing with some kind of bad weather. And uh, hopefully you can stay safe today and uh, things go well for you. And you can keep it tuned here while you're working and listen to us and all of the U.K. programming along these stations. So coming up today, we're going to chat with Mike Pratt, as we do on Thursdays, um, with Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated. And Darren Hedrick will join us to talk about the U.K. women in a top 20 showdown with Tennessee tonight in Rupp Arena. So that's our guest lineup for the day. Let's jump right into the Wildcat news of the day as the 16th-ranked Tennessee Lady Vols come into play number 20, Kentucky. The game will tip at 7 Eastern time. Uh, It'll be televised on the SEC Network Plus. Not on SEC Network, but on SEC Network Plus, so your computer. Um, UK Radio Network will have the call. Darren Hedrick will join us a little later. We'll be on the call with pregame starting at 645 Eastern U.K. has not played since last Thursday when they were upset by Ole Miss. So I remember saying at that time last week that maybe a reboot would be good for the team to and a refocus for the stretch run. They lost at Tennessee 70-53 to back on January 24th. So this would be a great opportunity to, to make a strong statement by avenging that loss to the Lady Vols. We'll see how it plays out tonight at Rupp. Uh, thanks to uh, Kyle Tucker for filling in uh, yesterday. So I wasn't here to talk about what a tough beat that was for the Kentucky men against Arkansas. Um, so many times this season, Kentucky has uh, contributed to its uh, demise greatly down the stretch in those last four minutes in particular and uh, found ways to lose games rather than found ways to win them. This time, I thought they found a way – they were making – plays that would give them a chance to win the game and they got the lead in the final seconds so they um yeah they made mistakes but you're never going to play a perfect game arkansas made mistakes too that helped kentucky so what uh they did was find a way to uh, move the ball get open shots make them um so they're just in the context of that game even though they lost there was a lot you could be encouraged about. Now, unfortunately, the context of the whole season is that they're 5-13 and 13 and time is running out. So we'll talk about this with Mike when he joins us. That, you know, Can they uh, get off, uh, off the mat again and uh, then finally get that elusive win Saturday against Auburn and then add more to it to build a little momentum ahead of the SEC tournament next month in Nashville? Uh, last night in the SEC... The big surprise was Ole Miss taking down number 10 Mizzou, 80-59. to And not to, just that Ole Miss won. They're uh, especially good at home. 
they do some funky zones uh, with their defense and can cause teams problems. But that's a you know Mizzou team with veteran guards. Um, so maybe it was just a bad night. I don't know. Didn't watch the game, but Ole Miss took it to them last night. Uh, Tennessee had a huge lead. They were up 20-plus on Georgia, but Georgia came back on them. But Tennessee hangs on to win 89-81 in Knoxville. And LSU won at Mississippi State 94-80. to And I saw where uh, ESPN's Mel Kuyper is projecting Kelvin Joseph as a first-round draft pick. Also, uh, Harold Lear's Josh Moore did an uh, interview with Mark Stoops. And uh, in that, Stoops talks about, you know, when you're having success at a place, uh, you're going to get offers from other places over the time that you're there. He said Kentucky would be a hard place to leave. And he talked about his brother Bob uh, staying at Oklahoma when a lot of offers came his way over the years. They said, you never know what's out there, but all of his focus is uh, right here at Kentucky. So we'll get Josh on and uh, talk a little bit more about that at uh, some point here in the uh, next few days or so. Right now, we should get to a break. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Heated patio seating, which you could use right now. It's going to be getting even colder in the coming days. And you can go indoors as well. And they have a new online ordering system, so you can do curbside pickup easier than ever from Wild Eggs of Lexington, Hamburg, and Palomar. We'll be right back with Mike Pratt here on the Leach Report Radio Network. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the Cats. Quarter past the top of the hour. It's The Leach Report Radio Network. And we go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Mike Pratt for our regular Thursday chats. How's the weather your way, Mr. Pratt? Well, there's a... snow on the ground not a lot but there's snow on the roads i'm looking out my office window and i haven't been out yet i don't think i'm going to make it up for the testing today because uh i understand that uh i'm texting with some people that it's pretty nasty up there huh yeah uh i haven't been out on the roads but uh it uh, is it's there's a lot of ice on the trees so yeah <laughs> it's yeah that's they're all bent over trees are, <laughs> trees are yeah, all bent over that's how that's how we tell how bad it is, huh? Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, enough with uh, the weather. Let's uh, talk about uh, Kentucky basketball. Uh, you know, another tough beat on um, Wednesday night or th- Tuesday night. But um, I uh, was saying in the opening segment that I thought that they did a lot of good things down the stretch that they hadn't done in a long time in that portion of the game. And if they can keep doing that, then um, I have to think they'll break through. Yeah, I think the tendency of uh, fans is to beat these kids up about this, that, and this. But, you know, I think we talked at the game, Tom, afterwards or during the game. uh, I thought, I told you, that this team could easily uh, pack it in after the Tennessee game, after those multiple games. And then Tennessee, the way it uh, played out at the end, I, I thought, you know, these kids have been through a lot. And uh, they're not all kids, but these guys have been through a lot. They did not pack it in. They came out uh, firing uh, away, playing hard, uh, playing together. Um, they, there's no quitting this team. As bad as this year's been, the goofy way they lost games and the limitations they have, 
I think uh, I think it's a real compliment to them and the coaching staff that they keep coming out playing hard, man. I agree with you, and I was listening to a little bit of uh, Matt's post game the other night. Kind of, it's probably the same way for you when you after you do a game, it takes a little while to wind down, and uh, it seemed like most of the the portion I heard the calls were uh, very uh, very encouraging, and my. Uh, interpretation of that was that that i think kentucky and kentucky fans have always been this way they respond to you know heart and and fire passion if you know whatever you want to say it and i thought you saw you know to uh, have you know been through what they've been through and to you know go down by 12 with about six minutes to go and to come back and take the lead did show a lot of heart and as well as some some good play and so uh my perception is that uh, fans responded to that I agree. I agree with all that. And uh, when uh, if that place would have been uh, had a lot of people in it, like it typically does before COVID, um, when Cats were nailing those three trays, um, Mints and oh my Bar in Boston, the place would have gone nuts. You would have got some juice from that. And there was another game I felt the Notre Dame game, but there was another league game here recently where I thought. Um, they could have got a lot of a lot of juice from the crowd. They could have fed off that crowd late in the ball game and, and not had the same results. I mean, it's just emotion. And these guys, they, they've unfortunately not been able to feel the electricity in Rupp Arena like many other people have over the years or in the Coliseum like I did. And that, that's sad for them. I feel for them because it is it is electric in there. Let's talk about a couple of things that uh, played out late in that game uh, that generated a lot of uh, fan discussion. The the first was uh, Arkansas's uh, last offensive sequence, and Kentucky uh, defends it well. You force them to take a contested shot, which they miss. Uh, Tate gets the the rebound, and uh, they call a foul. And from where uh, our angle is, you're looking across the court to the um, we're at midcourt, so it's the opposite baseline or right under the basket through all those bodies uh, i couldn't tell you know how whether it was a, a good call or bad call now clearly it looks like on on the replay and on still photos it should have been a jump ball um so that's that's that that's a tough one to take as a coach or a player because there are a lot of you know uh things you know that's not one play that you know, you can you ever decides a game. There's always a lot of plays you can go back and look at, and I understand that. But when you get a tough call, you know, with four seconds to go, it you you don't have much of an opportunity to overcome it, like you do the other things that might be a bad break that goes against you. So you know that was one that they missed. It happens. Uh, you know, everybody's human. Uh, it, uh, but you can also go back and say Kentucky four of Arkansas's last six points. Came, came as a result of offensive rebounds. I put back, and then Tate got that rebound that led to two free throws. And, you know, that's something Kentucky had been tremendous, doing a tremendous job of denying one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. Uh, up until those last two minutes, they had three offensive rebounds. But, you know, Williams gets one, and then uh, Tate gets that one, and those turned out to be, you know, huge for Arkansas. Yeah, they did. And, uh, you know, there was a scrum down there. Uh, on that last uh, shot, and there was a lot of uh, bodies flying everywhere. Um, and I think you mentioned to me, or somebody mentioned to me, that 
and I couldn't see this one, that Williams, the freshman kid who's a very aggressive player, you know, that's that's how he gets his playing time, by being aggressive, not going one-on-one. He just climbed the back of Boston on oh, that particular play. It's like, I, I didn't notice this until I saw the replay, he crushes BJ like a paper cup. And that's going on too. So you could just as easily call that foul as uh, as one on top. And sure. I mean, he's he just yeah. you know breaks him uh, down. You know, because Williams is like six ten, two fifty, um, and uh, you know he just crunches uh, BJ in that scrum for uh, the rebound. Um, yeah. the, go ahead. It, it, you know, if he wasn't so big, you would have thought he was a jockey, right? <laughs> Yeah, never seen a jockey that big. Uh, we'll take a quick break and uh, come back, and we we'll want to talk about the uh, the last play that Kentucky ran, and uh, get into that in a little discussion. Uh, looking ahead to the rematch with Auburn too, and then uh, Justin Rowland will join us coming out of the bottom of the hour. Darren Hedrick a little later as well. All coming up here on the Leach Report Radio Network. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. 24 past the top of the hour. Mike Pratt's with us as weekly visits to the show, presented by Boone's Butcher Shop in Bardstown. Check them out at boonesbutchershop.com. Mike, uh, let's talk about that last play for Kentucky. Arkansas gets the two free throws, goes up one. Kentucky's got, uh, I think it's 4.1 seconds at that point. And it, the play looked horrible and ends up with a with a turnover um and so the uh thought is you know what are they trying to do uh why are they throwing the ball into sar and uh when i got home i got was thinking about that play and i watched a, a replay of it and it came it occurred to me i said I, I, th- I know what they were doing and i went back and found the play last year at texas tech when they had about two seconds to go before halftime, and they ran a play that got the ball into Quickly's hands, and he hit a shot from just inside midcourt. And it's a play Kentucky – Cal mentioned this on the post game that he's used a lot over the years, and um, when I went back and looked at it in the way that it's supposed to work, uh, I realized what they were doing and what was supposed to happen. So I'll try to explain this as best I can, and then you can jump in. Uh, if you remember how the play set up, Toppins under the basket to inbound the ball, and Askew's on the side where you and I are, on opposite the benches, and Boston's across at midcourt on the other side, in front of what would normally be the scorer's table, and in the middle of the floor is Olivier Sar. Well, Askew goes sprinting up the court. So you're, my thought was, why, but at, at first glance, why is the point guard running away from the ball? Well, when I went back and watched the play from last year, that's the spot that Maxie was in. He did the exact same thing. It's uh, it's like a football receiver clearing out a zone. So he clears out the right side of the floor. Boston comes off a screen from Saar and is supposed to catch the ball in motion, going with the coaches say downhill. So you catch he catches the ball with four seconds just short of midcourt. And from there, he can get inside the three-point line on dribbles. I don't know if he can get all the way to the rim, but he can get close. Or he's got Askew ahead of him or Saar rolling to the top of the key as options to kick it to. And I think Jacob probably is not the guy they normally have inbounding the ball when they practice the play. It's, I'm sure, Keon or Isaiah, and they had both fouled out. And so Jacob, uh, the you know, he, he hesitated on throwing to BJ, and then that 
the play broke down from there. Yeah, you know, that, that's a good description. I can't add anything to that, Tom, but I will say this from a coaching perspective. Uh, I know these guys work on this play every day. Oh, yeah. I've maybe seen twice. It. Yeah, different situations, they put seconds and minutes up on the clock at the practice facility. And then, of course, they, they call they, they call the fouls and they set up what they want done. They move people around into different positions so that they become familiar with what they want to do, full court, half court, under the basket, all those scenarios that take time and work on them. Now, I think your point's well taken. I'm sure that, that Keon Brooks was going to be the guy that inbounds the ball if he's in the game. There's no question about that. And, and he's not. And Isaiah Jackson, I, I think he could probably make that pass. He's, uh, he's tall enough and I think he's got enough strength on me. He could make that, that inbounds pass, but, I, I don't think Toppin, maybe he was, uh, was real comfortable in that position, but that's what they had, okay, to keep the shooters up the floor, to get the movement with the shooters. And Toppin wasn't a guy who was going to take the shot at the end of the game, okay? So he had to inbound the ball. And uh, we used to have a saying, and I'm going to leave it at that because I, I'm not at practice every day. You, you call a timeout or run a call a play or whatever it is, and they leave a bench. You've gone over it. You've shown them pictures of it. Sometimes coaches draw the plays ahead of time. They have it in their clipboard. They go, boom, here it is. Or maybe the guy does it on the spot. It depends. They leave and they do something different or don't do it exactly. One guy can screw up a play. We used to call it game slippage. And when you leave the bench, when you play, there is a possibility that there's game slippage and one guy or two guys uh, don't execute properly. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's it's frustrating, and it's but you're you're looking, you know, there's so many things you can go back to where you know you maybe wouldn't be in that position, but you do work on that for when you are, and um, they uh, they weren't obviously able to execute that one, and it was such a shame they didn't just at least get uh, a shot off. But point is, they were trying to they had a play that's going to get the ball. It's it's almost like in the NBA where you call timeout and get to advance the ball because of the yep. way the play was set up. They were going to get to catch the ball almost at midcourt and have then you know four seconds. You can get uh, you know if you're heading downhill when you make the catch, you can get pretty close to the rim. So uh, yep. frustrating finish. We're going to get to uh, a break, Mike. We'll see you on Saturday. Okay, buddy. Stay safe. Coming up next, Justin Rowland joins us from Cats Illustrated here on the Leach Report Radio Network. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Second half of our Thursday show, we go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline and bring on Justin Rowland from CatsIllustrated.com to, we'll start with Kentucky basketball, uh, Justin, and another tough beat for the Wildcats uh, is... Can you envision a scenario where this team could generate enough momentum in these next three weeks to be in a position to to make a run at an NCAA tournament bid at the SEC tournament? I mean, it wouldn't shock me. No, yeah, that uh, definitely wouldn't shock me. And, you know, it's not like there's another team in the league that, you know, you say this team is definitely going to win the conference tournament. I mean, Alabama's been really good and Tennessee has great potential, but – I mean, if they were to get hot, they've already shown that they're capable of being competitive consistently with the better teams in the league. So just to get over that hump, 
No, it's definitely not outside the realm of possibility, but, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily predict it either. No, I, I wouldn't either. Uh, but I think the challenge uh, is going to be, and, and to, to their credit, uh, players, uh, coaches, etc., they have met it to this point. It's, you know, hard in sports to uh, get get beat down, especially at a place where you're not used to having it happen, like Kentucky basketball, and to keep getting up off off the mat and giving the the effort to give yourself a chance to win against a good team. And they did that through, you know, a tough beat at Alabama, at Missouri, and then these last two against Tennessee and Arkansas at home. And if they can, you know, at, at some point you have to think, you know, they, they, they may just stay down like uh, they were telling Rocky in the end of, of the movie. But at uh, if they can keep getting up off the mat, you have to hope, hope and, and I think, given what I saw the other night, think they could break through. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a few games ago, and, and when they were 1-6, I think it was fair to ask, is the bottom going to fall out, you know, or, or is the team just going to check out or is, is Cal going to quote-unquote lose control of the team? But I don't I don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, I, it's not to say no signs of it. definitely going to get a whole lot better. But, yeah, they've, they've played hard, and you can't really fault them for that. You know, Cal is more frustrated with maybe late-game execution and then less so after this last game. But, yeah, this seems like a, a pretty high-character group of guys, and, and that hasn't been an issue. Yeah, the uh, late-game execution was maybe as good as it's been all season, uh, other than the the last play uh, in the game the other night, I mean they got you know trying to make that comeback. They ran what they were supposed to run and got good shots and made them. Yeah, and then you saw the video of Cal post game talking to the guys in the locker room. I know some people were saying it was kind of like not a great look, kind of looking for a moral victory. But what else is he supposed to say? I mean they really right. did have kind of victory snatched from them on a very controversial call after they did everything that you know everybody's been saying they need to do. So. I mean, he's just trying to, to keep their heads up, and, you know, I understand why I said it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got to, you know, you as the coach in a situation like that in any sport, you've just got to find a way to keep your players believing. Uh, because if you have belief and, and hope, uh, then you can, you know, keep fighting and keep improving. Once you've lost hope, then that's when you check out. Sometimes I, I want. It's been a difficult year for those guys because they haven't gotten to enjoy the best that UK program has to offer the best of the fan base. But maybe being a young team, sometimes young guys just keep playing because they've got a That's lot to look ahead to. They haven't been saturated in any negative aspects of culture or narrative, uh, and also maybe not having fans there sometimes. Um, <laughs> the, the few number of boo birds or. You know the the here we go again gas. I mean, maybe some of those conditions have helped the younger team, and I, I just just to to keep going, just to keep playing, and you know that's what they're doing. That's the best thing you can say about them. You know, it's a um, a, a league this year where um, it has some really good veteran teams and teams like Alabama and Missouri, who uh, went down to uh, defeat last night. Uh, pretty soundly at Ole Miss, but has played well. You know, uh, Tennessee's got some vets, and so they've uh, those teams. Not surprisingly, have have done well. But you know, even uh, you know an Auburn team that doesn't have a great record that's coming in here. They're eleven and ten, five and seven in the league, but they didn't get Sharif Cooper until January 9th. So 
that's you know just because you you know you played better against Arkansas doesn't mean that uh, you're you're going to be a, a cinch to to beat Auburn at Rupp Arena since they beat you down at your place and you know your team is struggling so they've got to go out and find a way to break through and get uh, get this win and then you've got two on the road. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it would be tempting to say they played really well against these good teams, so they should beat these teams that aren't quite as good. But, you know, the Georgia loss was really perplexing early in the season. And, you know, the, just the, the variance and how teams in the league have played from game to game. Some of the blowouts have just been total head-scratchers. You know, that's, you can't take anything for granted. So, I mean, I think the most likely outcome is they're going to they're gonna be in a close game with four minutes to go because that's what yeah. it's often been. <laughs> That's uh, and that's probably going to be the case um, most of the rest of the way. You know, maybe Texas A and M at home, you might be able to beat a little convincingly, but Auburn on the road or Auburn at home, Vandy on the road, Tennessee on the road, Florida home, Ole Miss on the road. I could easily see all all of those games being up for grabs in the final four minutes. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And so it's going to be important for them to, um, to to take some of that confidence, even. Just psychologically, that's kind of hard because you're you're beating yourself up again after uh, what could have been. But you know, for their sake, you hope they can take something from doing stuff right this last game. You know, just, you talked about uh, scores that uh, are hard to understand. Um, I looked at Notre Dame after they beat Duke the other day in Durham. They had won at Rupp Arena, obviously. I went and looked. I couldn't remember what they did against Carolina. They lost by one at Chapel Hill. So they, you know, Notre Dame beats Kentucky in Rupp Arena, beats Duke in Durham, one point short of beating North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and they won't make the tournament. It's that that's that's the year we're in. <laughs> it's wild. Just from the beginning of the season, just looking at the top twenty-five, I said as soon as I saw the polls, I don't remember this many teams west of the Mississippi being in the top 25 this year. I don't remember this many. I think I saw the other day on social media that the t- of the top 13 winningest programs of all time, none were in the top 25, which is, is really bizarre. So I, I don't want to say that Kentucky struggles have all been COVID this year because everybody is going through all of this, but there, there is something to this just being a weird year. Talking with Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated. We'll take a quick break, come back, get to a couple of football topics here in just a moment. It's the Leach Report. Radio Network. You can follow Justin at Roland Rivals on Twitter. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. One more segment here with Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated. And uh, Justin, Kentucky has added another quarterback to the mix. He uh, won't be here for spring ball, but transfer from uh, Penn State. Uh, how do you see the quarterback battle stacking up now? Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, i got to be honest. If Levis from Penn State had been in for the spring, if that were the plan, then I would say he would be the odds-on favorite to be the starter just because – you ask yourself, you know, would Allen or Gatewood, who didn't start for Kentucky, have been ahead of him on the death chart at Penn State? I would say, given the fact that he played quite a bit at Penn State, probably not. Now, him going in in the summer instead of the spring is good in that it means he's going to be eligible no matter what the NCAA decides. But he is going to be a little bit behind in the playbook. And with a new install, you know, that is... Um, that's a factor. And with him having three years of eligibility, it's not going to be the rush to get him to the top of the depth chart. But, yeah, it adds to the competition. And the quarterback is the only question for the offense in my mind. I think the offense could carry the team next year if the quarterback position's okay and he helps that competition. 
Now, that would be quite a turnaround. That's a, quite a strong statement. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've got some questions about the defense. I think I know a lot of people are excited about the defense, and I, I understand the excitement. But to me, you know, there's a question up the middle with Davis and Q. There's a question about the pass rush, especially with, you know, Weaver's status uncertain with Boogie gone. It was already a question. You're breaking in new corners. There's talent, but I look at the offense, and the line's going to be better than we thought with the returning guys, Ali and Wandale will really upgrade the receiver room. They've got good tight ends and one of the nation's best returning running backs. So it's hard, given the numbers last year, to see that. But I think the offense could take a big step forward. going to be a lot of interest in uh, spring ball because anytime you're, there's uncertainty at the quarterback spot, you know, it's going to drive fan interest. And then plus you've got a new offensive coordinator. So I think this might be there might be as much interest in this spring game as there's been in quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the quarterback battle is going to be fun to watch. I, I have no clue how it's going to play out. You know, I think a lot of people had strong opinions on the Joey and Bo debate, and I, we just haven't seen a whole lot. So, you know, either one of those guys could put together. They both have the prospect pedigree that the, the light could just go on at any given time, and I would see very different players, and it'll be interesting to see what, what Cohen's really looking for. What's your take on the two guys they got from Michigan State as transfers, wide receiver and a linebacker? Yeah, Luke Fulton at linebacker could he could be in the mix to play right away if, if the you know eligibility thing is approved, um, just because of the the depth need there and the the, the need for guys. Um, and then Trayvon Morgan, the receiver, um, I think in a best case scenario he's like peak Ahmad Wagner. You know, he's six six, six seven, two thirty. I think they want him to try it out at receiver, um, but it's possible that he could become a hybrid. And, uh, you know, he was a well-regarded recruit, well-regarded prospect. And I was told by somebody who covers Michigan State that he was a surprise. He's the one surprise entering the portal going out of Michigan State program, and they were really high on him. So they were they were disappointed to see him go, and that's a, that's a good sign if you're Kentucky. You know, they ought to be a pretty – Kentucky ought to be a pretty tough guard down in the red zone with 6'6", Keaton Upshaw, and 6'7", Trayvon Morgan and a running game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and – uh. You know, I, I just think the offense has, has real potential. I mean, Upshaw, you know, even when the passing game was struggling, looked like a guy who could become a real problem. And, you know, you got Chris Rodriguez, who, you know, again, one of the SEC's top returning running backs. They've got – it's all about mismatches. And, you know, you add Wandale to the mix, and we haven't seen the kind of player Ali can be because the offense passing game is just broken. You know, they, they, they really do have some weapons. So I'm excited to see what the offense looks like. Justin, thanks for the time, as always. Thanks a lot. You can read com as well as the rest of his team. It is the Leach Report Radio Network. Justin comes to us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Darren Hedrick to preview UK-Tennessee women's basketball tonight at Rupp when we come back. Welcome back into our final segment of the Leach Report. We go back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Darren Hedrick. You'll hear him on the call tonight when the Kentucky women host number 16, Tennessee, at Rupp Arena. Darren, I remember listening to uh, the start of this game down in Knoxville. I was out uh, running some errands, had you you flipped on, and um, I remember you talking about how Kentucky just was kind of flat-footed that day and seemed a little lethargic. So um, do you tend to ignore the the convincing way that Tennessee won that game and uh, give Kentucky a good shot in the rematch? I do, Tom. I think Tennessee, or Kentucky is going to come out energized tonight. I think they're motivated for this game. Uh, I, I don't know what went wrong down there in Knoxville, but uh, 
Tennessee had a part to do in that. They're so long, and they had, they used their length to really create havoc defensively. But I think Kentucky's going to be ready tonight. Uh, what is the key for Kentucky to have a shot to flip the script against the Lady Vols? Well, offensively, they've got to get going again, and Ryan Howard's going to need some help. Uh, there's a stat that I looked up, Tom. It's uh, incredible to me. Right now, in SEC play, she is accounting for 50% of their scoring, whether it's assists or made buckets. She needs some help, and they've got to get Blair Green going again. They need Drayana Edwards to, to get back to scoring consistently, and spread the ball out tonight and try to get their bigs out away from the basket so they can get some advantageous paint touches. But offensively tonight, it's all about executing and moving the basketball and getting some transition buckets. Do you think they, uh, Ryan's teammates, I mean, Ryan's player of the year candidate, I mean, she's one of the best players in the country, do, do they sometimes uh, either just defer to her too much or just get caught up in, in uh, watching her uh, do her thing? That's a great question, Tom, and we've even heard Kiki McKinney talk about how at times she catches herself watching Ryan because she's so good, and I think some of her teammates fall into that trap of, okay, Ryan's got the ball, she's going to do something and score and help us get out of this bad situation, and, uh, you know, she this team is good enough that while Ryan is a dominant player and makes them better, this team is good enough to score by moving the ball, getting it into the post with Kiki and Drayana or outside with Chastity, Jasmine, Robin, you name it. So I think it's just, you know, uh, they have fallen into that trap and, and they need to uh, step up now and execute as a team offensively. I uh, was saying in the opening segment that I was hopeful that maybe given how poorly they must have played last week down at Ole Miss that maybe not having a game last weekend could be a good thing for a chance to to get a reboot and you you're playing a team that you should have your a chip on your shoulder about yeah I think that's a great point uh, you know they they had to buy or the off day Sunday I think that came at a great time this team has been put through the ringer in SEC play their schedule has changed two or three times they've had to go on the road uh, with the short turnarounds and you know, this season, and we've even heard it talked about on the men's side, all the mental wear and tear that this season has brought on student-athletes. You factor all that in. I think the bye week came at a perfect time, and I would definitely think this team will have a chip on its shoulder tonight against Tennessee. Chatting with Darren Hedrick, he'll be on the call tonight on the U.K. radio network for uh, number 16, Tennessee, at number 20, Kentucky, uh, at uh, Rupp Arena. Uh, Darren, let's shift gears to a little baseball. Uh, it's nice to think about baseballs coming when the weather's like it is right now. And I see that uh, single-game tickets are, uh, I just got an email, where they're on sale now for uh, Kentucky baseball. So the start of their season is just around the corner. It is. Next week they'll start uh, play at North Carolina with a big three-game series against the Tar Heels. That should be a lot of fun. And there's a lot of home games in the non-conference and early portion of the schedule. So hopefully the weather starts turning around and, and uh, we can see uh, as many fans as safely possible there at Kentucky Proud Park. But this is going to be a fun team. They'll emphasize defense. The pitching continues to get better under Coach Roselle in his second year as pitching coach. And I'm really anxious to see this team take the field. Uh, What do you think their strength will be? I think it's going to be a lot on the defensive side. I think they've done a great job of improving that. They've added uh, Rubel Cava, the new catcher from California, 
They also have Ryan Ritter playing shortstop. He's an excellent defender. So I think defensively this team has is, is really improved. And offensively, it all starts with Austin Schultz, John Rhodes, the return of a guy like T.J. Collette, and Araj So this team will score runs, but I think defensively this team is really going to hang their hat on that. Uh, 7 o'clock tonight for Kentucky and Tennessee, 7 Eastern time on the U.K. Radio Network with Darren Hedrick on the call. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Tom. Darren Hedrick, uh, one other note about uh, Tennessee. I was just reading the uh, U.K. release. The Lady Vols have missed several games because of uh, COVID-19 protocols, so they have not played since January 31st. And they've not played a road game since January seventeenth. So, um, you know, both teams coming off a layoff, but Tennessee's greater than Kentucky's into this matchup tonight. Uh, a couple of other notes: um, Liam Draxel from UK uh, upset the number one ranked tennis player in America. So that was an impressive achievement. And uh, condolences to the family of Ty Scroggins, five-time state championship. A high school football coach at Louisville Central, and only 49 years old uh, when he uh, succumbed to complications from COVID-19. Uh, that happened, I think, yesterday. So it was, uh, I, I didn't have a chance to, to know him, uh, but um, you see the reaction that his passing elicited. And um, so just uh, so sad when we lose somebody that young. Uh, I think I read he also was on the uh, 1990 uh, Fairdale State Championship basketball team. And he was also, in 2007, became the first African-American head coach to win a state title. So uh, RIP for Ty Scroggins. If you happen to be in the Lexington area, uh, we lost a friend of our family's uh, recently, and uh, she was in the food service business, a young lady. And um, there are several Lexington restaurants, uh, Old Vine Bistro, La Deauville, uh, Roulet, uh, Henry Clay's Pub, where uh, they are serving Mia Teenies in honor of our friend Mia, and half the proceeds are going to the Lexington Humane Society. So uh, if you are getting out and about when the weather gets better uh, the rest of the month, uh, order up a Mia Teeny. And we will see you tomorrow here on the Leach Report Radio Whenever you miss a show, and be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. 